This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, April 19th, 2023 edition, and I'm excited for this hour with you. Uh, there's a lot going on in today's market and economy, and I'm going to do my best to unpack it for you in a very straightforward manner, uh, unbiased to my answers, and try to give you the frank assessment of how to make good decisions in this economy and this market. And I know there's been a lot of talk lately about the U.S. dollar, and we've covered that uh, a bit here over the past uh, a past couple of weeks. Uh, but I wanted to start off with that because I think it's very important uh, to try to break through the hyperbole and focus a lot on the facts and, and in history. Right, because there's really nothing new under the sun. There's always the same uh, same things happen, kind of over and over again. And issues that are, are arise today have happened in the past, uh, and or have been discussed in the past. And this is this is really great because um, I went over the chat GPT, and <clears throat> I looked at the answer to uh, what is called the Triffin's dilemma. And there's something called the bank core. And I wanted to go over this answer because I think it's a great summary of how uh, what our current system is like, what the issues are with it, and potential solutions. Okay. Now, what is the Triffin's dilemma? This is named after Belgian-American economist Robert Triffin. It refers to the conflict of interest that arises when a national currency also serves as the global reserve currency like the U.S. dollar. This dual role creates tension between the domestic monetary policy objectives and the international monetary system's stability. And this happens a lot when the Fed tightens its belts, right? The emerging markets don't do well because they have dollar-denominated debt and they can't pay off the debt because the dollar's too strong and their currency is weaker. Uh, that, that's, that's what happens with the Triffin's dilemma. But it happens the other way, right, with you know, our dollar getting too strong and our exports becoming less competitive and hollowing out of our manufacturing base. Okay. Now, in the 1960s, Triffin argued that the country issuing the reserve currency, in this case, the United States and the US dollar, would need to run persistent current account deficits to provide the world with sufficient liquidity. This is called the euro dollar market. Okay. Now, however, doing so would essentially undermine the confidence in the currencies as it would, as it would lead to increased debt and inflation. And that's kind of what's happened, right? And this could ultimately lead to the reserve currency's devaluation and stability in the global monetary system. Bancor, proposed by British economist John Maynard Keynes, if you if you're new to this game, John Maynard Keynes is my, John Maynard Keynes is one of the preeminent economists 
in the history of, of economists, okay? And during the Bretton Woods Conference in 1944, uh, which was this, uh, uh, he proposed it, sorry, in Bretton Woods Conference in 1944, and it's a super, it's national currency designed to address Triffin's dilemma. It is, was envisioned as a unit of account for international transactions issued by a global central bank called the International Clearing Union, kind of like the IMF today. The main idea behind Bancor is to create an international currency that would be separate from the national currencies and not subject to individual countries' domestic monetary policies. This would help maintain global economic stability and resolve the inherent conflicts in Triffin's dilemma. Key features of the Bancor system include fixed exchange rates. Bancor would be pegged to a basket of commodities, ensuring stable exchange rates between national currencies and Bancor. Okay, this is kind of what I talked about. Remember, I was saying I think it's going to be a basket of assets, commodities, and uh, currencies. Number two, symmetrical adjustment. Both deficits and surplus countries would be incentivized to balance their trade, reducing global economic imbalances. So, I was saying with certain currencies getting too strong or too weak, that's what happens in the euro, right? The the euro being in the euro system, the the euro gets too strong for com- countries like Italy, who have naturally weak economies, and and uh, makes their exports less competitive. Vice versa, in Europe, the or sorry, in in Germany, the euro is weakened by those other weaker economies and makes the German exports more competitive. So Germany loves it, and that's why the pigs, remember the pigs from the European crisis in 2012, 2013? uh, They struggled so much, okay? Uh, And now, number three, international liquidity. The the, the ICU, kind of like the IMF, would provide international liquidity by issuing or withdrawing bank or as needed to facilitate global trade and maintain economic stability. Ultimately, the bank or proposal was not adopted, and the dollar was used. So, to summarize... I think that was a great summary of what I actually think what is the next phase you know everyone says oh it's the yuan it's going to be this other currency uh uh-uh. it's something like the bank core likely to replace the dollar well once again probably not tomorrow not next week not next year may probably not even next decade but by 2050 2070 certainly possible okay so I wanted to cover that before we dig in today, and we have a lot to cover, but uh, I am here for you to answer your finance and investment questions and help you become a more successful investor. So you can call during our live show, 4 to 5 Pacific time at 888-99-CHART, or call that same number after hours and leave a message, and we will answer it on a future podcast. Now, my focus point today looks in the story behind this question. Can you transfer a mortgage to someone else? There are some rules around it, but we're going to discuss that potentiality, especially in a time where a lot of people, they're rate locked, right? You have a mortgage, two and a half, three percent. I don't want to lose this. Well, you can potentially sell your house, right? And get compensated, right? You're going to get more money if you could transfer that, right? And someone else is going to, you know, pay, assume that loan. And instead of paying a 6 or 7% mortgage today. So, potential solution here. Uh, so, we're going to look at that. But also, I want to talk about the impact that is gonna have of, of the banking crisis on economic growth. The IMF came out with a new, uh, a new prognostication <laughs> or uh, forecast for this year. So, we're going to look at that. 
Also, volatility has reversed. Why? And is that a good thing? And then the 60-40 investment strategy did not have a great year last year, but is having a better year so far this year. So we're going to look at why and if that is to hold. All right. What else? We have some voice bank questions. We're going to talk about credit sweeps as well as Comscope Holdings. And we have an iTunes review question as well. So I've got this all planned for this episode of Invest Talk. And of course, your live calls at 888.99 chart. Now let's take a quick look at the market today. It was a modest update. We closed, we opened lower. Small caps were up about a quarter of a percent. The broad U.S. market was pretty much flat. Mid caps are down 0.1%. Overall, like I said, slightly higher. If you look at the NYSE, oh, actually that was down 31 points. Yeah, small caps were up. That was really the strength there. But yeah, overall a flat day uh, and into resistance. And uh, I've said this before, not shocked to see the market kind of float higher in the near term. Uh, but ultimately, there probably will be more volatility this year and more buying opportunities. But liquidity has inflected positively, and you have to take that into account. Now, we're going into a quick break. Please remember, you can call anytime and leave your question on the Investock Voice Bank. Or if you're listening via our live stream, you can call right now at 888-99-CHART. In today's world, a variety of factors are affecting the stock markets. Serious investors know building a secure financial future requires hard work and determination. That's why now, more than ever, when it comes to the planning, execution, and maintenance of your portfolio, you need InvestTalk. With total downloads surpassing 50 million, each InvestTalk podcast should be one of your key financial planning and educational tools. InvestTalk is a free download. And hosts Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to provide their unbiased guidance and professional analysis developed from real-time data research and years of investing experience. 24-7, rain or shine, during smooth sailing or on rough weather days, the Invest Talk listener line is open and waiting for your questions. You set the agenda. Don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Every Invest Talk podcast is made better by your questions. So don't forget to call. And if you've never called, Justin and Steve are waiting now for your finance and investment questions. Invest Talk, 888 99Chart. Justin and Steve, hey, this is Andrew from Atlanta. I was trying to call you guys. I got a recommendation on a stock called COMM, that's Comscope Holding. They're suggesting that this stock may be at a bottom. I'm trying to learn, but I do lean on you guys for your analysis. Could you please look at this stock and tell me what your feelings are? Greatly appreciate the show, and I hope you guys have a great day. Thanks. All right. This is Comscope Holdings, the provider of infrastructure solutions for communication, data centers, and entertainment networks. It uh, provides back-end, basically, technical um, infrastructure for digital video, IP television, distribution system, broadband access, infrastructure platforms, etc. So it's in the telecom space. The issue here 
is the debt. They have a lot of debt, $9.5 billion market cap. And free cash flow is now less than $100 million, trailing 12 months. So if you look at their times interest earned, negative 1.2. So it's basically in a debt spiral. And if you look technically, it continues to go lower. Uh, let's see here. Pull that up. Yeah, I mean, it's at a 52-week low. This is now's market cap under a billion, debt over $9 billion. This is a situation where the market is pricing bankruptcy. So, no, I would not buy this. Uh, it looks like it is headed for bankruptcy, and I would pass. Uh, and you want to be looking at companies that have minimal debt, not mounds of debt like this one. All right. Now, let's play two in a row. This question came in earlier on the Best Talk Listener Line, the 888-99 chart. Hi, I just had a quick question about Rambus or MBS. Wanted to see what your take is on that stock. Thank you very much. Love your show. All right, Rambus. This this is a name that's been around for a long time. It's had wild swings throughout its history. Let me go back to a monthly chart. This is one of the ones that this is this is, was a darling of the dot com era. When it was, it went public around in the single digits. It went as high in the dot com bubble of 120 and change, crashed all the way back down to four bucks in 2002, uh, meandered around, it hit a high in 2006 before the financial crisis around 45, then went all the way down to three, four bucks back in 2012. And it has slowly edged its way higher. And now it's at $49 and change. So this is a, a semiconductor solutions provider. It offers high-speed, high-security computer chips and silicon uh, intellectual uh, property. So it's it has a lot of IP uh, because it's been around so long. And it's, it, it go, it's a boom and bust stock, just like a, a lot of the chip names. So you can see here, this is a great example of how wild, how wild the fluctuations in profitability are uh, in the, the chip space, and this is no different. Um, it's definitely overbought in the near term. If I focus more on a daily chart, uh, it is overbought. It's consolidating, uh, so that's kind of a positive. If you're looking at its price sales ratio at 12 times, I think that's too expensive. You know, anything over 10 is usually uh, too rich for my blood. And now it's at 12, especially for a name that has a history of wild, 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 wild swings in stock price and profitability. I think you, I think you're, you're late to the game. Um, and if you look at the trailing 12 months for cash from operations, it's now in a decline uh, from last fall, 250 down to 230 million. So uh, I'm passing on Rambus, just the history of it. And I don't like the valuation. It's way too expensive. Now we're moving into a break. I'm ready for your questions. Invest Talk is ready for you at 888 chart And remember, you can post your questions anytime with an iTunes review as well. Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? 
Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. 8899 chart, 8899 is how you get through and ask your question. Now, our main focus point today looks into the story behind this question. Can you transfer a mortgage to someone else? And the answer is, it depends. Now, this is when you have someone else basically assume your mortgage. It's current interest rate and it's terms. And a lot of the federally backed mortgages like uh, FHA mortgages, USDA, U.S. Department of Agricultural Mortgages, Department of Veteran Affairs mortgages are typically assumable. Uh, but your conventional mortgage typically are not. They're typically due on, they have due on sale clauses. Now, there are some caveats to that, which we'll get to. Um, but it's something you should, you should look at, especially if you are thinking about selling your home and you're saying, hey, I don't want to get rid of this 3% mortgage and go and transfer it to and, and go buy another house and get and pay six or seven percent. But what if you could get even more of your home because someone else could assume that mortgage that you have and that could compensate for that higher mortgage you might have to pay elsewhere? That's something to think about. Remember, it's a there's trade-offs here in different circumstances that you have to have to weigh. Um, and a lot of people don't realize that. They think that their mortgage can't be moved. Now, the buyer would still have to meet lender qualifications to be eligible. There's usually a home appraisal appraisal required uh, as well. Uh, sorry, the home appraisal isn't required, excuse me, is not required. And sometimes a mortgage can be transferred even if it typically is not assumable. And so a transfer might be allowed on a case-by-case basis for various reasons. One, if you want to transfer the loan to a spouse, child, or another relative, that's something to think about. Okay, maybe you're maybe you have a relative that wants to buy your house, uh, give it to your child, etc. Maybe you're going through a divorce or a separation, so the house is under both of your names, and you're separating, uh, getting divorced, and and one of you is going to assume that mortgage, and the other one's going to move on. Or the original borrower dies and the loan must be transferred to a surviving joint tenant or relative. That can happen as well. Or within a trust, right? So say you own it in you and your spouse's name and you create a trust. That trust can now basically assume that mortgage because you are st- you guys are still the beneficiaries of uh, that trust, okay? Now, eligibility criteria can vary by lender. And the buyer, once again, will have to do a credit check, income check, all of that. Now, so what you have to do is review the mortgage documents. See what the terms are. It's going to say it in your mortgage documents. Is it assumable or not? Is Or is it paid on transfer of the, of the deed? Then you contact your lender to help initiate the transfer. See what the requirements are. And that varies by lender and loan type that you might have. And then, especially if you're going through some sort of divorce, inheritance, joint tenancy, et cetera, a lawyer might be helpful uh, as well. Now, most states charge a real estate transfer tax whenever real property is sold or transferred. So this is a one-time fee, and you 
you you may pay it the buyer might pay it it might split you know there's some stipulations here but uh you have to look into that and make sure you're not blindsided by uh that potentiality as well so <clears throat> i think this is this is Interesting. It's not something most people have had to worry about for a long time. You know, we've gone through this this period of 35, 40 years where interest rates have just gone down and down and down. Mortgage rates have gone down and down and down. And usually, the seller of the or the, the, the seller had a mortgage rate that was similar or, or higher than uh, the the buyer. Uh, and so the buyer is better off just going to get a new mortgage. Uh, but now we're in this era where you know interest rates are they're not going down. Right, uh, it's below three percent probably anymore. Uh, they may they may vacillate here between four and seven percent for a long period of time. That's potential, or they might continue higher. Um, so, uh, I want I think this is a really important topic to to think about to uh, pass on to friends, family who have mortgages uh, and have homes that you know m- maybe they feel stuck in. Right, they're. They're rate rate lock rate trapped, and there's a potential out here that can compensate them for uh, having and be able to lock in that that real low low rate. So uh, I wanted to highlight that and keep that top of mind for you. Now, on the next invest stock, the story behind this question: Are we in a freight recession? At least one major trucking and transportation company reported first quarter profit and revenue that fell below expectations. It is a challenging freight environment with deflationary price pressures for an industry that continues to face inflationary cost cost pressures. And this is something I, I remember Zim Holdings. This is one that uh, everyone was calling on because it looks super cheap based on uh, backward-looking P/E ratios. But it continued to go lower because earnings continue to go lower. And remember, the market is forward-looking. So this is what you have to look at. It's always looking Investing through the windshield, not the rearview mirror. So that's something we're going to talk about tomorrow, and this is a great topic for that. But for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture. I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value. So your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses 
for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com slash today. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. So as long as your questions involve the stock market or general investment topics and definitions, we set no limits. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Justin and I are ready. Are you? Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. Hi, Steve and Justin. This is Kevin calling from uh, La Crescenta, California. I have a question about Credit Suisse. I was looking at some of the corporate bond offerings, and I saw that uh, Credit Suisse, which was near bankruptcy and bought by UBS this year, has a lot of bond offerings that have very high yield to maturities. And I'm wondering what the impact or what the risk is now with those. Did UBS also buy all of those, and now is the one, are the ones going to be covering it, or are they going to be lost? at some point or the risk is there. I appreciate your thoughts and information. Thanks. This is a good call because especially if you people are buying corporate bonds, you need to understand how these mergers work. And what happens when the company like UBS is buying Credit Suisse, they're assuming that debt. So it might still say Credit Suisse because that merger hasn't fully gone through and sometimes even after it goes through it's still the bonds still say credit suisse or the old company uh but ultimately your counterparty the 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 corporation that's backing those bonds is ubs and ubs just got bigger and they assumed a lot of problems right credit suisse had its problems and Maybe they paid a, a good price for it. Maybe they didn't. We'll see in time. But ultimately, it becomes UBS becomes a bigger risk, uh, becomes a even bigger company, uh, even more important to the country of Switzerland. It's uh, where it's domiciled, and that's what you're buying. You're buying a bond, a UBS bond. Now you buy a Credit Suisse bond. It's not a it's not a Credit Suisse bond. It's a UBS bond, and. You see what happened to the cocoa holders, the contingent convertible bond holders. They were uh, they were not treated well. Uh, it, when companies get nationalized or there's some sort of regulatory uh, forced merger, the there's haircuts that happen with equity holders, potentially bond holders, and that's the risk here with uh, with UBS. Uh, now that's likely. Down the line, I don't think anything's going to happen to UBS in the near term, um, but that's what you're you're buying into is a global bank that uh, now just swallowed another global bank that has a lot of debt and a lot of problems, and maybe they can right the ship, or maybe they can't. Um, so that's how you want to look at those bonds that might still say Credit Suisse, but ultimately they are UBS bonds, right? Now let's touch on a report from the IMF, and they downgraded the economic growth of the United States, their projections for economic growth, from uh, to two to one point six percent this year, down from two point one percent last year, and they're saying that the there's about a one percent reduction in lending capacity in the United States from banks 
because of the recent banking crisis. And that is ultimately going to shave off about 0.44 percentage points of GDP growth this year. So going from a little over 2% down to about 1.6%. Now, they do see the global economy growing 2.8% this year, a slowdown from 3.4% last year, mainly helped here by the growth in China and the reopening uh, and, and reversing of those lockdowns. So that's certainly going to help economic growth over there. And then other emerging markets are uh, continue to, to heal. Uh, especially with the dollar uh, kind of reversing since the fall. Now, since the banking crisis, the 25 largest U.S. banks gained $120 billion in deposits. This is according to the Fed data. And if you were below the top 25, you lost $108 billion over the same period. So there's likely to continue, uh, the, the smaller banks are going to be probably going to continue to struggle. Uh, there's going to be more consolidation. And frankly, it's kind of rare. Our system is fairly r rare in the world. Most banks or most countries have a handful of very large banks. And there just tends to be consolidation over time because of things like this, of potential runs on uh, the banks. And the smaller banks are more susceptible to this because of their variability in their deposit base and their, their business model. And you can see that with Silicon Valley Bank. Now, Banks are also going to have to start paying higher mortgage, higher interest rates on to their depositors. That's going to shrink their net interest margins and and uh, potentially force them to pull back in their lending. And some economists are saying there will be a recession this year. I actually do. I'm, I'm kind of in that camp that we'll hit a, a mild recession later this year, uh, probably precipitated by. The next kind of ma next major issue, next uh, thing that's going to probably create credit problems, and that is in the commercial real estate sector. And the IMF kind of agrees, and they say they're facing lower property valuations and struggling to find tenants after the pandemic shifted work away from office buildings. And these confluence of factors of higher interest rates and, and structured lower demand for commercial real estate means that real estate valuations are going to be lower, there's going to be defaults, and ultimately bankruptcies in parts of that market. And so central banks have a trade-off between fighting inflation and protecting financial stability, that's what the IMF says. And, and, and in my mind, it's going to be pretty clear that by the second half of this year, inflation is going to be not an issue, at least the headline numbers. Now, longer term, I think inflation is structurally higher. But when you ramp interest rates so fast, so high, you're naturally going to get a deflationary impulse. And that's what you've, you've kind of seen over the past, um, uh, uh, past year or so. And, you know, with the M2 uh, shrinking and ultimately uh, that's, that's a lot of monetary tightening to really rein in inflation. And so I think that's the long-term issue is how do they pivot without letting inflation kind of ramp back higher? And I think that's what you're going to see this decade is, yes, we're going to have times where inflation is going to pare back down to 1% or 2%, but it's not going to stay there for very long, most likely. And that's ultimately the longer-term, uh, I think, risk to, uh, to markets. All right. Now let's keep things moving and pivot back to the Best Talk Voice Bank at 888.99 chart. Hello, thank you guys for the wonderful show. It's very entertaining and very educational, so thank you so much. My name is Breed, I'm from the state of Washington. I'm calling regarding the stocks in 
This is IAPR, and this is a, a cannabis REIT. They they uh, lease out cannabis spaces uh, across the United States and uh, to grow facilities, to uh, dispensaries, etc. And they've struggled recently, or at least the price has struggled. The business is fine, right? Cash flow operations is uh, still growing now at a slower rate than it was a year or two ago, but still growing. You have twenty percent funds from operation sales growth year over year, twenty eight percent. Sorry, sales. 20, 20%, funds from operation up 28% year over year. So that's fine. There are, they are having issues, some issues with some of their tenants, but they're finding replacements for them uh, rather quickly. So uh, I don't really see an issue here. Minimal debt for its size. Uh, and recently you're starting to see a pickup in volume. So uh, I think it's being weighed down by those, uh, the, the re- commercial real estate market as a whole, but this is obviously not going to be impacted by the work from home environment. And ultimately, there's uh, some longer term tailwinds. So uh, I still think it's a I still think it's a good value. All right. Now, when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk review on iTunes, we like to thank them for the courtesy by getting to their questions quickly. Randall1951 says, "My question concerns the term revert to the mean. I think I have a general idea of what its meaning, but how is that applied in investing? Example: I bought Exxon at 32 and now it's at 116. I doubt it goes back to 32. So how do I determine the mean? I mean, I want to buy more, but I like, uh, but like everyone else, I don't want to overpay. Okay. So reversion to the mean is simply uh, looking at the long term trajectory, the, the average return of the stock uh, or the asset class. You could just say the asset class in general. Um, Rambus is a good example. We had that call before about Rambus and how this has wild swings over its history, right? From the low single digits all the way to $100 plus uh, during the during the uh, dot-com bubble, then rallied all the way to 40, then back down to single digits, now back up into the 40s again. And so what you can see here is that uh, there is volatility, right? So the mean is the average. So if long-term... Equities say return ten percent, but that's not a smooth ride. That's, you know, equities aren't like a bond. You're not just getting ten percent every single year, and that's how it goes, right? There's great variability to that, and so what happens with a lot of people is they don't pay attention to the longer term trends of a particular asset class or a particular company, and they think the current state of recent returns or recent business success or failure is going to be extrapolated out forever, right? Something goes up 30% in a year. They think that 30% is just going to be this consistent uh, likely trend. No, the answer is probably something that's more reasonable. Okay. And so there's some sort of mean uh, and a trend, and you can look at some uh, even just longer term names, you know, whatever uh, you can look at Apple, right? Uh, stocks get overbought and they revert back to their longer term average of growth. So that's really what it's about. Now, will Exxon revert down to 32? No, that probably doesn't mean that they're going to revert to 32, um, but maybe they retrench back to 80, right? And that's the maybe the, the longer term. Mean if you do long uh, if you create a line between uh, the charts, you're actually the mean is probably going to be closer to 100. 
right? Now it's at 116. So does it get back to 100 at some point? Maybe. Remember, it's like a pendulum. The market's like a pendulum. Stocks are like a pendulum. Asset classes are like a pendulum. How often is a pendulum in the middle? Only for a very brief second. It's usually swinging one way or the other. And then it gets too far and then it reverts back to the middle. And it typically goes the other way, too far the other way because sentiment, because people are emotional and they dump things because, oh, it was down 10%. I want to sell. I want to get out. That, that perpetuates more losses and more people get out. And sentiment gets worse until it hits an inflection point. All the sellers, all the weak hands are out. And then it turns the other way. That's what the pendulum is. And the market is like that. Asset classes are like that. Why? Because we are emotional beings. And sentiment shifts. And that's what creates reversions to the mean. Great question, though. Now, Steve and I have been telling you for a while now that we are in a new market environment. Cycles are a natural part of everything in life, that pendulum I just talked about. And we are in, we have shifted, right? I talked about how we get to a certain point. For example, in commodities, we got very one way, very oversold, very low allocation to commodities just a handful of years ago. And now it's starting to inflect the other way. Now, how far does it go? TBD, but it's likely headed in a positive direction. Until one point, there's probably overzealousness. There will be naturally uh, in, a partic- in, the, in that particular asset class. And then that will be a time where you want to be trimming your positions. So that's how you have to understand these ebbs and flows. Otherwise, you are going to be a product of that emotional swing. And so if you need help understanding whether you're positioned correctly for this new swing of the pendulum, I encourage you to reach out to myself or Steve Peasley at our company, KPP Financial, where we operate the same philosophy, which is independent thinking and shared success. And we provide unbiased guidance, both on and off air. And we practice parallel investing, which means we invest right alongside our clients. So if you want to take advantage of our free portfolio review assessment, I did three of these today. Via telephone, go to meeting, just head over to investtalk.com, click on the portfolio review button and just fill it out and we'll go from there. Or you can call our office at 800-557-5461. Speak to you for a short time, figure out where you're at, where you're going and whether you're on the right path and get your portfolio optimized. Now, next up, let's play another caller question. Hi, I was wondering if you could give me your opinion on Industrial Logics Properties Trust, ILPT. Thanks very much. Bye. ILPT. Ooh. Okay, this is a REIT that owns and leases industrial and logistic properties throughout the United States. Trading at $2 per share. Tana, let's say, I'm assuming this is a bankruptcy candidate. Let me look at the data here. Yep. About $4.2 billion in net in debt on its balance sheet. It's times interest earned is negative. Uh, so, okay, let me, this is the second question today that uh, companies that are likely bankrupt trading at two, three, four bucks a share. And I haven't said this in a while, but I'll hammer the, the message home right now. There are more companies trading for 
chasing the single digits that are expensive, then there are companies trading over $100 per share that are expensive. Never look at the dollar amount that a stock is trading at and think that's cheap or expensive. It's, it's irrelevant. It's all in relation to its earnings, its cash flow, etc. So just because they look cheap, right? Trading at two, three dollars. No, no, these stocks are expensive. You know why? Because they're about to go bankrupt and they're gonna be worth zero. So if something's worth zero, the equities are zero, and it's trading at two dollars, it's drastically expensive. There are very, there are no companies trading over hundred dollars per share that are on the bank brink of bankruptcy. Okay. Now we're heading into our final break. And I'm ready to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. So give me a call now at 888-99-CHART. The stock market is constantly changing and serious investors know that they need to modify their portfolio assets to fit the times. And now with more than 50 million downloads, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley reaffirm their commitment to providing unbiased finance and investment guidance here on Invest Talk. 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve and Justin. Thank you so much for the show. I have a question regarding mining and mining stocks. I don't own any mining stocks outright, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on two stocks, some super big companies, BHB Billiton and Rio Tinto. I'm thinking about buying some stocks in in both of those companies. So I would love your thoughts. Thanks again for the show. Are you looking at BHP out of Australia and Rio Tinto out of the United Kingdom? Now, Rio Tinto may, is, is a globally diversified miner, but its dominant commodity is iron ore and to make steel. And they do have exposure to copper, aluminum, diamonds, gold, industrial minerals, uh, etc. A very large company, $112 billion market cap. Now, BHP also globally diversified in iron ore, copper, and metallurgical coal. And so that's what you're you're getting here is something that maybe is a little a lot more less dependent on iron ore and has more copper and metallurgical coal, which which I like. Uh, I like the metallurgical coal um, side. And I'm gonna say if I'm gonna pick one, I like I like BHP. Uh, it has it's it's once again more diversified. Its profitability is a bit more consistent, and its relative strength is also a bit better. So if I'm picking one, I'm picking BHP. All right. Thanks for the call. Now let's touch a bit on volatility. And what's interesting here, it's something I follow if you follow my weekly market wrap-ups on YouTube, or if you're a client and you tune into our office hours every Wednesday, you'll know that I go over the volatility indexes and not just the VIX, but also the move index, which is a measure of bond market volatility. But all of these volatility indexes from equities, right? The VIX is, is on equities, as well as currency volatility and bond market volatility have come back down over the past month or so after, <clears throat> after spiking during the bank, banking crisis. And what was always interesting to me during that crisis was the VIX didn't really break out, okay? 
its high back in middle of last year was in the mid-30s. And it actually made a lower high in September. And then it peaked out in the around 30 just recently. And now it's down to 16. Okay. And then, and so that was a, a tell to me that I don't think equities were going to inflect a lot lower. Because volatility wasn't picking up in on the equity side. And then the move index it did break out above 150, which is a worrying sign and was there for a handful of days, but reversed uh, by the end of March and has fallen back down to 124 at the close today. So that calm there is helping asset prices overall. It shows that traders aren't bracing for wild moves in any of these markets and more focused on the normal topics, which is earnings. Right, not some systematic breakage of the system. And this is what I've talked about for a while is that central banks are gonna come in, they can't afford an 08. They don't want a deflationary bust. They will paper over the problems and they will create lending facilities. They will do things to to quell the the volatility. Now, one day, maybe the market takes away their ability to do so, right? Takes away the printing press. But the system is the system. And and the Fed and, and other central banks are the, the head of the snake. And they kind of control things. So they're very well incentivized to calm down any major spike in volatility. And that's what you've seen as of late. And the fact that they're making consistently lower lows indicates to me that liquidity is inflected positively from the lows in, uh, in the fall. Doesn't mean you can't have volatility going forward, but definitely something to keep an eye on to see where it heads. And as long as it remains relatively low, positive asset prices are ahead. Now, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. And follow us on Invest Talk on our social media platforms as well. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. Invest Talk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461.